Hello and welcome to another episode of Retrospection and today there's going to be more monkey business than normal as we take a look at it beneath the planet of the apes from 1970. My name's Colin and they will dissect you and they will kill you in that order. And my name's Paul and my god did we finally do it? Did we finally really do it? That's right we did it. <laughs> Another podcast. I'm glad you went there. I was... <laughs> Oh, yes. Well, we finally did it. Oh, but the sexual tension between us has gone, Paul. It's going to be like <laughs> midnight after. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. After it all went wrong. Yep. Uh, IMDb says, and they kind of spoil a bit of the plot with their description. Oh, go on. I didn't read this. The sole survivor of an interplanetary rescue mission searches for the only survivor of the previous expedition. He discovers a planet ruled by apes and an underground city run by telepathic humans. Well, that is pretty much all the story that there is, really. There's not much more, apart from the the final moment. At least yeah. they didn't put that in. Yeah, I suppose. But there's, there's not much left to speak of, no. is there? <laughs> no, but they movie. could have just said planet ruled by apes and left it. it well, they could put, you could put that for every one of these movies, couldn't you, really? They should. Oh, all right. Get on to IMDb and get them to... Well, not the third it. one. I'm trying to think what the third one... Oh, the third? No, the third one isn't, is it? That's the time travel no, one. That's yes. the where the, the apes are in our world. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So it wouldn't work. Nope. Yeah. So the film stars James Franciscus as Brent. Mm-hmm. Kim Hunter as Zira. Morris Evans as Dr. Zayas. Linda Harrison as Nova. Paul Richards as Mendez and an appearance by Charlton Heston reprising his role as Taylor. Yeah, apparently he donated his salary to charity for doing this. He did indeed. That's not bad, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, for, uh, what, a couple of weeks' work? <laughs> oh, I it wasn't even that. It was eight days. <laughs> that is true, yes. yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. He was, so they, he, was, um, he, he was reluctant to return, wasn't he? Because... Um, he always felt that Taylor's story was played out by the end of the first movie. He wasn't wrong. <laughs> well, he doesn't really do much, does he, in this? No. Well, he, he does one big thing at the end. We could say that, but... Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. He, he did say that he only agreed to uh, return as long as his shots could all be filmed, as you say, within two weeks. And that, um, spoilers, he had to die at the end of the movie. Yeah, he didn't want to come back for a third. I think he was hoping that nobody could come back for a third by the way this ends. But he yeah. didn't understand the rules of sequels, that whatever happened in the previous movie doesn't make a blind bit of difference. If you want to make a sequel, there's going to make, there's going to be a sequel. Yeah. yeah. So the original Planet of the Apes is based on Pierre Bull's 1963 novel, Le Planète de Songe. And he was asked to write the script for this instalment. But they didn't like it because they said it lacked the visual shock and surprise of the original. Yeah, it was called Planet of the Men. Ooh. Yeah, it doesn't sound exciting, does it, really? <laughs> it was that just, just Earth, right? Well, apparently it was set 14 years after the original movie, and it followed Taylor as he led an uprising of the humans against the apes. Hmm. I don't know. I don't think that would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't no. have played. I don't know. I don't think it would have played as well, to be honest. I mean, no. it's just watching a bunch of people fighting apes. You'd watch that. <laughs> what, a man fighting an ape? I probably would. Yeah. That, I guess. Yeah, you would, yeah. 
I was interested yeah, right, to yeah. learn that. Yeah, I was interested to learn that Boole also wrote the book "The Bridge on the River Kwai." Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's based on his own experiences as a POW in Singapore when he was forced to work on the infamous Railroad of Death. Well, there's not a lot of room for monkey business in that one, is there? Nope. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Uh, so this is the second of five of the original collection of films. There's also a TV series, short animated series, uh, another Planet of the Apes film in 2001, and then in 2011 they released the first of a new three-part trilogy. And I'm sure now that Disney own the franchise, we'll see a return to it in a few years' time. Yeah, they'll probably just reboot it again, won't they, I would have thought. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Where could you go? I mean, you, 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 I mean, the last three films were a reboot. And they were done in a very modern way. I mean, what's left to... Where, where, where can you take it that, that's fresh and new? Unless you take it back well, to the original roots of the, of, the, of the book. If we could answer that, Paul, we wouldn't be sitting here doing a podcast that no one listens to. <laughs> that's very true. People, some people listen. Some people listen. Um, there was an alternative ending to this film as well, apparently, where everyone survived. Well, they just went, hey. Well, um, Brent, Taylor and Nova all escaped the tunnels just before the explosion. And it, it isn't actually a world-ending bomb. Oh, I was going to say, escaping the tunnels is not going to help you. <laughs> but okay, it's a smaller explosion. It's a smaller explosion, yeah. Um, right. But Charlton Heston felt that it would be great just to set off a world-ending bomb and thus put in pay to any sequels. Ah. Uh, Roddy McDowell? could not return for his role in this sequel because he was in Scotland directing Tam Lynn. It's his only directorial effort, apparently, isn't it? Uh, is it? I didn't know. Oh. Yeah, it's the only time he ever I, I've never movie. seen it. Have you seen it? Ne- never, seen, never even heard of it until I looked it up uh, for this. Oh. I like Roddy McDowell. Right. I always thought he was a very solid actor. He was reliable. Good character actor. Solid actor. Solid actor, yes. <laughs> What's wrong with that? I don't know. It's just like solid. He's so, well, I don't know if he was solid. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know the man, but, you know. You it sounds it. like a new, like, what the kids would be saying instead of saying, like, cool or, you know, great. It's solid. Maybe I've started a new, a new thing. Let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> so this film had its budget reduced from five million to two point five million because Fox had suffered recently from several underperforming big budget films like Star, Hello Dolly, and Tara Tara Tara. Yeah, and apparently they even used um, the underground council chamber in the movie as a redress set from Hello Dolly. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean. There's no reason to spend a lot of money on a sequel to a Planet of the Apes movie, really, is there? No, not really, no. Everything's there already, and most of the world's destroyed, so there's not, <laughs> you know, you just need some rocks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's all you need, really, yeah. That's all you get. Um, And because this was so drastically slashed as well in, in terms of money, they decided that many of the apes in the background would simply were um, pull-over masks rather than the expensive makeup. And boy, does it show in some shots. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's usual practice, right? But I guess you don't normally see it. it it's not as obvious in the first movie. Talking of the uh, costumes, what's the connection 
between this and Star Trek. Ooh, go on. John Chambers created the prosthetics for the ape costumes, also created Spock's ears. Ooh. Yeah. And you've got to say that both are very good. Yeah. Also, in the 70s, worked for the CIA making disguise kits. As long as they looked like apes or had pointed ears. <laughs> they had a big ear. <laughs> like, can you imagine that? He's like, I think that guy's a spy. And he comes on, he's got an ape face and pointy ears. <laughs> Yeah, he's mixing it up. <laughs> he's combining the two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. no, apparently I think he was a lot better than that though. Oh, so do I. I mean I mean he's you, you can't fault the makeup, the ape makeup in these movies. I think it oh, still no. holds up today. It looks fantastic. Do you know the film Ergo? Yes, I do. John Goodman's character is that guy. Oh, that's the guy he's playing? Yeah, that's the guy he's playing. Wow. Oh. Okay. That's going to um, play very differently the next time I watch Argo. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about Planet yeah. of the Apes. <laughs> and am pointy yeah. ears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting about the makeup as well because it is so good. Um, we, w- we were talking before the podcast uh, about my, my son watched all the new Planet of the Apes movies and he's seen a couple of shots and, uh, and, and clips from these original ones. And... He didn't have a problem with the makeup at all. After watching CGI, you know, um, motion capture apes in the modern ones, right. didn't have a problem with the, with the old school uh, makeup effects of these movies. Still thought it looked great. Yeah, there's only one scene I think in this film where the costumes are a bit would that, ropey. Would that, and we'll get to yeah, it. Yeah, I, I know the scene that you're talking about, <laughs> and we will talk about we'll it. We'll leave it there. Okay. Uh, this film in the UK is a 15, but. With all those chimpanzees, you know what rating it should have had, don't you? <laughs> don't you, pal? Go on. Don't you? No, go on. PG. <laughs> now, you're going to have to explain that for uh, our American listeners, aren't you? Uh, throughout the 70s and 80s, chimpanzees advertised PG tips tea bags. It's so, it's so wrong, but yet it felt so right at the time, didn't it? Yeah, look it on YouTube. You can find all the adverts. Uh, I just had a couple of other things about this movie. Orson Welles apparently was offered the role of General Ursus. Burt Reynolds was considered for the part of Brent. Yeah, yeah. And people can't see it, but I'm pointing to my Reynolds-style mustache. <laughs> yeah, he's very <laughs> flush, Colin. It's getting very flush. Yeah, it's not on my face. <sighs> yep. I think it's important to, to note as well just how much of a massive franchise planet of the apes became in the 70s in many ways it was a precursor to the star wars franchise it had so much merchandise and um everything that that everything that everyone associates with star wars came first with planet of the apes really and particularly things like action figures it was one of the first um franchises to to create a, a line of action figures for boys i think with the Mego range of action figures, which which were a massive thing in the seventies and are extremely collectible today. I was thinking that when I was watching it, that when we talk about franchises, we do talk about Star Wars or mm-hmm. Star Trek, Marvel, and um, 
maybe even the James Bond franchise. But yet, we don't really mention the Apes films yet. There's so many of them in TV, cartoons, comics, books, figures. I think it. I think. Kind of gets I think a lot out. of that comes down to the fact that it's been. It hasn't been forgotten because obviously we've had the new Planet of the Apes movies, but they weren't marketed the same way that these were. Right. These were essentially, <laughs> and it's a funny thing to say considering the stuff that's in this movie, they were essentially kids' movies. Oh, I you think, think so? so? Yeah. They were marketed to kids. Definitely. Oh, you... hmm. why, why definitely marketed Toys, to kids? Toys, games, um, rack toys. Robocop films had... Action not to, but not games. to the extent of Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes, as I said before, is very much a precursor to what George Lucas did with Star Wars, in terms of um, all the product that was out there, and most of that product was aimed at kids, lunchboxes, things like that. It, it was. I, I do think that they were aimed at kids predominantly, because I, I and also I think studios' perception of of science fiction at that time was that it was mainly aimed at kids i think hmm. but the themes in the films are not aimed at kids oh no not at all and that that's something that i think we'll talk about because i think that goes down to the writer and the director and the actors in the fact that they managed to to sneak into this film all this other stuff so it plays right. on one level it can play on whatever level you want to a kid you probably didn't get all the subtext that was going on in, in these movies, but yeah. the adults would. Yeah. And I think that's that's what's clear. And that's what's missing from what you would call, I don't know, a popcorn blockbuster movie today. I don't think there's there's subtext and levels in a lot of these movies now in, in the same way that there is in this movie. But but we'll 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 talk about it as we get yeah. to certain moments in in this movie, I think. Alright. So we begin with a gentle opening. Images and the sounds of waves on a sandy beach. A white 20th century fox logo appears and the voice begins. Beware the beast man for he is a devil's pawn. That's a, that's a nice bit of erotica, isn't it? Devil's pawn. I, I don't know what you're talking about, Colin. Yeah, you it's definitely horny. <laughs> <coughs> I was thinking beast man. Wasn't he in Masters of the Universe that we covered recently? Yeah, is that what you prefer? Is that your niche? What, beast men? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going, I'm not even touching that one. <laughs> but it, but it, it's, it's Pawn spelled P-A-W-N. The voice continues. Alone among God's primates, he kills the sport, or lust, or greed. Yea, he will murder his brother to possess his brother's land. Let him not breed in great numbers, for he will make a desert of his home, and yours shun him. For he is the herbiger of death. We see Taylor standing with Cornelius, and it is Cornelius reading out a parchment that we've been listening to. This is archival footage from the end of the first film. Next to Taylor is Dr. Zira. Taylor gets mm -hmm. on his horse to follow the shoreline. Dr. Zayas, who is tied up, says, All my life I've waited for your coming and dreaded it. That's what your wife's in-law said on your wedding day, Paul. <laughs> we there. <laughs> in spirit. Yeah. Now, this is the only um, time in the movie when we actually see Roddy McDowell, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And hear him. Although mm. you have to say that uh, 
the guy that is playing Cornelius does quite a good Roddy McDowell impersonation. I'm pretty sure I never really knew. It wasn't I don't think I answer. did. No, not not yeah. for a long time. No. Yeah. Zayas explains his feelings to Taylor. The Forbidden Zone was once a paradise, but your breed made a desert of it ages ago. That still doesn't give me the reason why. A planet where apes evolved from men. There's got to be an answer. Dr. Zayas tells him he may not like what he finds. Taylor leaves and Zayas shouts at Cornelius to untie him. Taylor continues to ride with Nova. What will he find out there? Dr. Zayas asks Dr. Zira. Destiny. What? The 1980 Swedish heavy metal band? <laughs> it's very niche, Colin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't um, Taylor say, um, "Don't you better not try and follow me because I'm pretty handy with this," and gestures to his gun? Yeah, I mean, never, never were true. Ne- yeah, never were truer words spoken about Charlton Heston, were they? <laughs> That's true, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you got to say it's not a bad that. life. It's not a bad life riding off on a horse with Nova, is it? I mean, you'd take that, wouldn't you? I like a bit of horse riding with Nova. Oh yeah, yeah. It'll chafe though. I mean that though. You know, he's got. He's just got. Yeah, a there's no saddle on. on that horse. No, no it's going to chafe. Oh, yeah. But, you know, needs must. We get some music, but it's the sound of dread in minor notes. We have a long shot of Taylor and Nova riding the horse along the beach. The credits, in a rather nice, simple font with hints of sci-fi appear. I like the credits of these. Films. I I don't know why. But I don't know whether they were designed specially for the film, but they work really well because they're simple, but they have a hint of the future about them. And if I ever see that kind of font anywhere, it always makes me think of these films. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Um, the music is, and we've we've talked about this outside of the podcast, but the music isn't really music, is it? It's. I refer to it as a soundscape. Yeah. But um, the composer for this movie is Leonard Roseman. Now, Leonard Roseman is someone that I know from, and you probably know as well, from, uh, he did the music for Star Trek Four, which is not a very well-received musical score for a Star Trek movie. Right. Um, but apparently he, he, he got the job because he was very, um, I think Leonard Nimoy Cheap. really wanted him because he was, oh, he was very good okay. friends with him. And he, want, he was desperate to get Leonard Roseman to score his movie. Um, if you put the two um, scores together you, side by side Star Trek 4 almost feels like it's a completely different person if you listen to this mm. um, it's, it, he completely misses the mark on that film oh, but he okay. gets it so right on the Planet of the Apes movie there you go hmm I guess you have to find the material that you're suited to. I guess so. And not just get a job because your best friend gets it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. One, one day that happened to you, Paul. Well, I don't have a best friend, Colin, do I? <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. Ooh. <laughs> you pointed it out to me, so, you know. <laughs> then we see Taylor encounter the... And for those who haven't seen the first film and are not aware of one of the greatest endings of a motion picture, block your ears now. He encounters the half-submerged Statue of Liberty. Taylor falls to his knees. Damn you all to hell! 
I know it's become a cliche and I know it's been parodied so many times in so many things like The Simpsons and various other things, but it's a fantastic mm-hmm. ending to a movie. It's hard to live up to, right? If you're doing a sequel. Exactly, especially when you put it at the head of your uh, at the top of your of your sequel as well. Yeah, that's a weird thing, right? Do they think people have forgotten? I, 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 yeah, because, I mean, it was such a massive thing, this ending, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was only, what, two years after the first movie? I think the first one was 68, yeah. wasn't it? So. So, so it's weird. And it's not like a sharp piece. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're quite into the film yeah. at this point, and we're still seeing clips from the previous film. Yeah. It kind of dilutes it a little bit. It's still great, but it dilutes yeah. it a little bit, I think. The less said about Tim Burton's idea of uh, riffing on this ending, the better. You remember the ending to his movie? Fortunately, no. Well, put it this way, Mark. Well, don't remind me, Paul. <laughs> don't don't remind me. You don't want me to mention it. Let it leave. No, okay. leave it there. We'll leave it there. It's dreadful. <laughs> That's all I'll say. It's dreadful. You're like a, a friend visiting a patient who was involved in an explosion and then start telling him about the explosion. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Everyone knows Leave what it is. Everyone knows what it is and it's awful. S- Paul, Paul, step back from the grenade. All right, I will do. I won't dive on it either. No. We now cut to them riding through the sunset, still on a beach, then across some sandy hills. Oh, sandy hills. Top golfer in his time. Then they're moving for a bit more greenery. The credits are continuing. Finally, we fade to black. And, and that's um, Chuck Heston out of the movie, except for a few flashbacks in a moment, until pretty much the end of the movie. The end? Yeah. 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 Good gig. Good gig for him. Yeah, just turn up, mm-hmm. don't do much, say a few things here and there. It's, it's our per- if we were yeah. actors, it would be our perfect mm. role, Colin, wouldn't it? Just, just turn up, say a few things here and there. Don't really... Hmm... <laughs> anyway, do what you mean. <laughs> we reappear what looks like a crashed spaceship. The United States can just be read on its fuselage. A man clambers out. He appears to be a Charlton Heston bearded lookalike. Is this part of NASA's space program that all of its main astronauts have to look like Heston? Is that what they mean by the right stuff? You'll never be an astronaut. You don't have the right stuff. Oh, you mean. Courage, determination, and a desire to live on the edge. No, you just don't look like Charlton Heston. Well, he, he is the archetypal man's man, isn't he, Charlton Heston? Oh, yeah, no, no, he's the man's man's man. <laughs> That's very true. And um, James Franciscus is kind of like a, a more in-shape version of Charlton Heston at this point, isn't he? Yeah, and you know why this guy wanted to do this film? Because he was tired of playing all the same roles he was on TV and thought this would be fun. Yeah, he played a lot of doctors, apparently, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Always in yeah. suits and, and coats and things and just yeah, so wanted to show off his body quite... a little bit. Well, why not? Yeah, I've seen him in quite a few things. I like James Franciscus. I think he's um, he's an interesting actor. So, And this, this astronaut is called Brent. Yes. He's carrying a first aid kit. I mean, a really tiny first aid kit that could only hold a couple of plasters at the most. It's a weird, weird first aid kit for a spaceship. Imagine you run over to the other person and he's just a torso, limbs everywhere, blood spraying into the air, and you, you just look at your tiny first aid kit, which is filled with Snoopy Fiend plasters. <laughs> Although, if Paul was the astronaut, just be a bottle of whiskey in it. That's all you need. 
I'd, I mean, I'd be perfect for one of those St. Yeah. Bernard's, wouldn't I? Wait, no, because you would drink it before you got to whoever you were rescuing. Unless you mean like the St. Bernard would come to you with the brandy and you'd be like, oh, thank Revive you. Revive me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Just keep reviving me. <laughs> keep it going. <laughs> and then I'd send him back. Any more reviving. I'd send him back for some more. <laughs> yeah. More, more yeah, brandy. I'll stay here. You go back, get more brandy. Go, go. <laughs> right, go. He runs over to a man known as Skipper, who is laying on a makeshift bed. And you know this guy's going to die because he doesn't look like Charlton Heston. Very true. In fact, he is the skipper of the uh, of the ship, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. <gasps> Maybe that's what the first day kit does. It rejuvenates your features back to looking like Charlton Heston. Well, it didn't work on Charlton Heston, though, did it? He hasn't got it. Ah, so if he'd only managed to take it to him, is what you're saying. Yes, yeah. yes, rejuvenated Charlton Heston. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, Heston and his prime. Yeah, Heston prime. <laughs> all right. Oh, well, <laughs> no, no, all right. No, 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 to go with that. Skipper appears to have been blinded in the crash. He asks Brent if he's managed to contact Earth, but Brent says, no, not a crackle. I like that line. Not a crackle. It's kind of a fun mm. line. Not a, not a crackle. Yeah. He says he took an Earth time reading just before re-entry. Oh, you like to note the time when you attempt re-entry, Paul? I don't know. I don't do it very often. Came back 3,955. AD 3955. Skipper is startled. Almighty God. No, no, not AG. AD. Not Almighty God. Anno Domini. <laughs> oh, Skipper. Schoolboy error. It's revealed they were following Taylor's trajectory. Do you remember the band, Taylor's Trajectory, had that 20-minute A-side called Failing Reentry? You used to play it on the wrong speed. It was all over in 20 seconds. <laughs> so whatever happened to Taylor has happened to them. Brent believes they passed through a Hasline curve, a bend in time. This Hasline curve, or Hasline time curve, is also mentioned in the previous film and is named after Otto Hasline, a scientist and main antagonist of the third Apes film, Escape from the Planet of the Apes. No, I never knew that. I should point out here that in Planet of the Apes, when Taylor looks at the Earth clock, it doesn't say 3955. It says 3978. So technically, Brent is on Earth 23 years before Taylor arrived. It's a small detail. I'm sure we can, we can let it slide. Yeah. yeah. Clock's wrong. It's in a crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, who's to say that, that, that it didn't mess up the first right. time when Taylor yeah. crashed? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Brent doesn't know what planet they're on, but they're breathing and they have plenty of water. He says they're going to be all right. Skipper wishes he could see the sun. Brent replies, oh, you can still feel it. Yes, but which sun? They don't know because the computer is shot and they're lucky to be alive. Skipper isn't so sure they're lucky and realises that if it's 3955 AD, that his wife and his daughters are dead. Everybody he ever knew is gone. He starts to cry. We fade cut to Brent covering up a grave. Now, I'm assuming Skipper died and Brent has not just buried him alive because of all his crying and moaning. <laughs> no, I, I would imagine that the Skipper died after the realisation that he's lost everything that he ever loved in his life. 
that that was his final, the final nail in his coffin. Brent looks around at the dunes, overwhelmed by what faces him alone. He sits and looks at his water supply, empty, which is odd because seconds ago he said he had plenty and now there's one less person drinking, but I guess he was just saying that to make Skipper feel better. I was going to say he was probably lying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He hears a horse. A horse what? (sighs) Where is the sound coming from? He runs back to the ship and sees a woman on a horse on top of the hill. She approaches. Brent hides. But he calls out to her. And we know this woman as Nova. Mm-hmm. Who are you? He asks her. Where am I? We see she has metal dog tags around her neck, similar to the ones Brent is wearing. He tells her he's not going to hurt her. He just wants to know where he is. Where are you from? Where are your people? How do I get to them? She doesn't answer. He realizes that she can't talk. But then he sees the dog tags around the neck. He grabs them and sees Taylor's name. Taylor! Taylor, where is he? We snap cut between Nova's face and scenes of Taylor teaching her his name and her own name and we see him giving her the name tags. Taylor wonders where they'll go from there. Back with Brent. He wants to know what happened to Taylor. Is he alive? Is he hurt? We then cut back to Taylor and Nova encountering a wall of fire, electrical storms, earthquakes and chasms opening up around them. A wall of rock appears. Taylor, at first, thinks he's hallucinating, but he can tell that Nova sees this too. I was getting excited then. Enjoyed myself. I didn't didn't want to interrupt you. Um, When when Taylor's trying to teach her how to speak, his name, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just thought we got to three weeks later and he's still sat there trying to to still get her to say his name. He's not got any further. She's still looking at him like... (laughs) (laughs) Taylor, my name's Taylor. Bob, my name's Bob. <laughs> Just trying to be easy as possible. Yeah, yeah, it's easier. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and I do think that the effects in this are, are pretty good for its time. Well, the fire and the, the firewall uh, and, and all, yeah, and all right. the earthquakes. Very good. Very good yeah. composite shot, uh, shots. Yeah. Yes. He, he, does talk, he does talk to her the way that he talks to a you would talk to a pet, though. Yeah, it reminds it of the way I talk to you. I have no idea what you mean. You're just going to say that every time I use it. I am, you yes. <laughs> okay. That's my catchphrase, <laughs> Colin. <laughs> I don't know. Your catchphrase is, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I'll own right. it, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Taylor gets off the horse and tells Nova that if she loses him, she should go and find Zira. Of course, he's not sure she understands him. He takes a rifle. He approaches the wall, raises his rifle to hit it. But he slips through the seemingly solid wall and vanishes. The rocky wall disappears. Nova is left alone in a featureless desert. And I'm guessing she just rides off. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do? Stand there? Well, she could have gone in, though, looking for him. There's nowhere to go. It's, she, it's all gone. It's just a complete desert now. There is no Wait. wall anymore. It's all gone. That's why they have the long shot of her in an empty desert. So where did he go? It was a hologram. He disappeared. Yeah, So, but where did he go? Is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, don't, don't, don't think about it, Paul. Maybe <laughs> he went into the ground. Because I, I can know. understand if they put a fake wall up and then he fell through the wall because it was fake. Yeah. 
but then he disappears and then she's in a desert so it's a desert an illusion she's not really in a complete desert there's a no, world she's in a complete no she's well hmm, i think she's in a complete maybe he fell through the floor and there's a thing in the floor trap door in the floor and so when when the wall disappears she can't see the trap door in the floor no i think you're wrong there all right I right, think but, I, th- I I think that they're making her think that she's now in a complete desert when the wall is still there. Or it wasn't a wall what, to begin what? with. It wasn't a wall. It's something else hiding, like an, a, a a doorway or something. And the wall. Well, what if she picks the direction where that is and she just goes into it? What's the point of that then? Then then all these uh, mutants that we'll talk about later. All these mutants are. Oh. <laughs> Dave, you're. Bloody idea is shit. <laughs> All right. It's the last time we get Dave involved. Yeah, I don't want Dave. Hmm. Why did I pick Dave? That's... <laughs> oh, I know why. Gaff. <laughs> Could have picked anything. Pick Dave. Apologies yeah. to any Daves out there. <laughs> <laughs> do we know any? Uh, we might do. I don't but you know. Uh. All right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's a mutant. <laughs> you don't? Are you don't, sure about no, that? Have you checked? No. No. I don't know any Daves that are a mutant or can make fake rock walls appear in front of me. Well, that's a fact. I agree with that. That is a fact, yes. And we'll move yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Back with Brent, he wants to know where she got the tags from. Now, he's kind of being a jerk at this point because he already knows she can't talk, so... What's he expecting? You, I mean, I suppose he could be assuming that she understands it, but just can't speak. Yeah, maybe. I mean, other than that, he's just screaming in her face. Yeah. Anyway, he climbs on her horse, asking to be taken to Taylor. They ride through the hills. They come to the top of a grassy hill. Nova points towards the city below. They move a little closer. Brent is startled. My God, it's a city of apes. No, I just got to say at this point, we're what, 20 minutes into the movie now? Mm-hmm. You would never get away with a slow build-up like this in a modern movie, would you? No, and, but, but you know what? I was watching it, I was thinking, this is refreshing. So was I. I'm feeling, I'm nice and relaxed. Yes. We're yeah. into this film. It's, it's comfortable. Yeah. 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 Is there's not there's not flashbangs going off in your face within five minutes of, of the movie starting. No no speed ramps, no. no slow motion. No, no, no fast cutting. No fast cutting. It's just nice. There's a meeting taking place. Ursus, the general of the city's army, is giving a speech to the assembly. I tell you what every good soldier knows. The only thing that counts in the end is power, naked, merciless force. I would think Decent boots would be a close second. <laughs> That's true. Yes. That's true. Yeah. The gorillas cheer, but the orangutans and the chimpanzees don't. I should point out that in this franchise, the gorillas are viewed as soldiers and workers. The chimpanzees are doctors, scientists, statespeople, and citizens of the society, while the orangutans are the politicians, lawyers, religious leaders, and administrators. It's incredibly clever what they're doing mm. yeah it's that yep. subtext again you know yeah. I, th- I think it if you choose to to recognize it that's fine if you're a kid doesn't matter but it's great yeah. that it's there 
And you don't get that in modern movies mm-hmm. anymore, I don't think. You don't think? No. You don't think Wonder Woman 1984 has oh, these oh, deep come layers? Oh, come on, it's... Slaps you, slaps you in the face with it, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, it's not the same, is it? No. Ursus continues that as a soldier, he sees things simply. He doesn't say all humans are evil, but the great lawgiver says that humans will never have the ape's ability to distinguish between good and evil because the only good human is a dead human. It's not, it's not wrong, really, if I'm honest. <laughs> we're, not, wow. we're not great, are Pretty. we? Let's face it. You know. Heard here first. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Brent watching this says, it's a bloody nightmare. Yes. Ursus continues, but those fortunate enough to remain alive will have the privilege of being used for science by the good Dr. Zeus. Some applaud. Zira stands up and sarcastically claps loudly and alone. She's told to stop by Cornelius that she's in danger. So is the future of science, she replies, with that rabble rouser fomenting a senseless military adventure. This is the scene where um, the, some of the apes look a bit off. The, the worst scene in the movie, I think. Oh, in, in the audience? Yeah. And, and, and it's no wonder a okay. lot of them are keeping their heads down, because I would. <laughs> if I was worried some of those men. <laughs> well, I didn't interpret that way, but yeah, okay. No, they, they, they don't look right. Some of the apes look a bit off, let's say. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It, I don't think it helps as well when they put them next to ones that have got decent makeup on. Right, so it's not just ones further no, back. No, they're everywhere. If you look at the... It, it's it's mm. worse with the chimpanzees. If you look at the the shot of all the chimpanzees sat together, they've got they've got people in obvious pullover masks next to people that are wearing decent makeup, and it's, it's quite jarring. It stands out. Right. It is, what, 50 years old? <laughs> what can we do? <laughs> yeah. Ursus continues... The Forbidden Zone has been closed for centuries, but they have new evidence that it is inhabited by what or who we don't know. We need to replenish these lands that were ravished by the humans with the new, improved feeding grounds. He believes the Forbidden Zone is where they can achieve this. The gorillas cheer as he talks about invading and increasing power. The orangutans and chimpanzees reluctantly join in, except for Zira, who refuses to stand up and applaud until Cornelius forces her to stand because Ursus is watching. Brent on the hillside realises he can't stay there. They head back up the hill towards their horse. Suddenly, they hear sounds. A soldier is approaching. They run into the bushes and he follows. They hide amongst the trees. The gorilla hears a sound and fires. He hits Brent in the shoulder, just a flesh wound. But then a bird flies out of the bushes and the soldier thinks that's what he was hearing. Did you notice the design of all the weapons? They're all carved out of wood. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. I don't remember them looking like that in the first movie, though. I think they were just guns. How did they look? Just normal-looking guns. Just... Hmm. Interesting. Mm. So they put a little bit more thought into this movie, I think, in, in that respect. Right. So they, they're not at the level of mm-hmm. metalwork, but they were yeah. before. Would, would a gun made of Intriguing. wood actually work? 
Don't know. Don't know enough about I mean, guns. They must have metal or, work. Or, or wood. They must have metal work, though, because I'm sure that you couldn't make the inside of a gun, the, the mechanism of the gun wood, could you? It'd have to be metal. Right. And there's metal, like, belts and mm. things. So maybe they just, they just the, the, the casing of the gun, they just make out of wood. Yeah, maybe. It's an interesting design, though. Wow. Yeah. For all our gun fans out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shall, shall we have more than we go to think do. about? We cut to Dr. Zayas and General Ursus having a sauna together. It's a bit odd, because I can't imagine that's comfortable for an ape, or especially a person in an ape suit. Oh, these, these ape suits, they do look a bit 1950s sci-fi, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, saunas seem to have been popular in films and TV shows in the 70s. Yeah, the one that, that stands uh, out in my mind is the famous sauna scene in Spartacus. Yeah. Also, Stasky and Hutch. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Multiple scenes yeah, in saunas. That, yeah. Stasky and Hutch episode. Yeah. Yeah. Here I can see why Dr. Zayas is the politician, the statesman, while Ursus is the aggressive soldier. They don't really see eye to eye, but here, naked, in the sauna, they are both vulnerable and unequal footed. It is the one place where they can openly talk without fear of each other. Yeah, and also, do you not think on a basic level as well that it's very exposition heavy, this scene? So to set it in a, in a, in a, in a situation that isn't typical that we've seen before gives it a little bit more life. Must have been uncomfortable, though. But wearing those great big ape suits. I mean, I assume it probably wasn't as warm as you think it is. It's not a real sauna, but still. Mm. Yeah. And they're probably not, they're not normally wearing the full outfit. No, no. They're just wearing the, the, the headgear and the, the, the gloves, which is what they are, really. Yeah. yeah. And, mm-hmm. and socks. And socks. And underpants. Ape pants. Ape pants? Mm. Is that what they're called? That's what they're called now. <laughs> Okay. Dr. Zaius wonders if the general knows what he's doing. Ursus doesn't know how Zaius could have any doubts. After all, they've been receiving reports of strange manifestations in the Forbidden Zone. Paul, when was the last time you had a strange manifestation in your Forbidden Zone? I can't remember. No? no. Been so long. I mean, it's forbidden for a start, uh, so I don't, I don't go anywhere near it. That's true. Yeah. For me, it was Wednesday. I had a strange manifestation in my forbidden zone. Turned out to be a Peruvian explorer. I don't know who was more surprised, him or me. Especially as he was riding a donkey. I, 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 I don't know. Hope. I, mean, I just don't <laughs> oh, know. No, 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 no. He points out that Dr. Zayas, as bastard of science, hasn't been able to fathom this manifestation out and that 12 of the general scouts have vanished in the zone. Zayas corrects him. 11. Because the 12th returned with stories of huge walls of fire, strange violent earthquakes. Ursus says the soldier's mind was probably affected by some unsimian-like torture. Now, when did this happen? What do you mean? Well, how much time has passed between the first movie and the second movie? Because there's none of this is mentioned in the first movie at all. Well, it could be like months, years. You think? Well, we're already screwed up on time yeah. because the clocks are different. Yeah, so. so I suppose it's meaningless, yeah. Okay, all right. 
was just a question. It, it, I can't remember. Is Taylor clean shaven in this film? I think so, yeah. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know you I know where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Zeus thinks Ursus is being hasty. No, says Ursus. Decisive. If we don't evade, we starve. And what is more dangerous than famine? The unknown, replies Dr. Zeus. Not sure I agree with that, but okay. You think the unknown is less dangerous than famine? Well, I mean, that's true because the unknown could be nothing because you don't exactly. know it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's full of shit, this doctor. He, he is. Isn't he? he is. Should have his doctorate taken away. Probably got it online anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Not a real doctor. <laughs> I love that you're questioning uh, the validity of Dr. Zayas's uh, credentials. <laughs> Has anybody checked? Uh, probably not, no. Probably not. That's what Dr. Zero should do, check his credentials. Well, I mean, we don't know what the, um, you know, the academic situation in, in terms of, of ape society is, do we? You know, does he, does, does, yeah, does oh, he have yeah. to spend X amount of years at, at medical school be, to become a doctor? What doctor is he? What, what, what's his doctorate in? We don't know. We don't know any of this. That's true. We know, we know what Dr. Zero is. Yes, she's... Doctor she's in, in. She's a vet, basically, isn't she, for humans? Yeah, but we don't yeah, know what yeah. Dr. Zayas yeah, is. So we don't. No. Do you, do you think he? Do, what are you? His diploma's what? hung. I'm the doctor. I'm a doctor of life. <laughs> yes, his diploma's just hung on his wall, written in his own, <laughs> his own hand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> crayon. <laughs> no, if, he, if he's an orangutan, it's probably written in his own shit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What are you doing Wednesday? Oh, I'm getting another doctorate on Wednesday. Thursday. You know what I'm doing Thursday? Just another doctorate. <laughs> Every day, more doctorates. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's something fishy about Dr. Zayas' uh, credentials. Yeah. 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 We cut to Brent and Nova sneaking into the city. And meanwhile, Cornelius and Zira enter the home. She's pointing out that instead of dissecting humans' brains, she should be opening up gorillas' minds to see what went wrong. And they discuss power and the fact that the gorillas are, you know, a bit stupid. Meanwhile, Nova and Brent are listening. Nova steps out and Brent follows. At first, Zero thinks it's Taylor. Which, which goes back to my being that he's a child yeah, and has look alike. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, see? Now, this whole scene, all these scenes in, in Cornelius and Zero's hope, it's kind of shot like it's some kind of um, sitcom. Oh, you wanted a laugh track? Well, it doesn't look like the rest of the movie. It's shot like a sitcom. It's shot with like you know wide shots of 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 the room, and the way that they're talking to each other. It's very it's very much reminiscent of things like the honeymooners and things like that. Well, he does. He does. Yes, I know. Yes, yes, so. I know. I know. Um, I don't think that but it, bang zoom to the moon. I don't, I don't think the hashtag Me Too movement has penetrated ape society. I suppose. No, apparently it's not. No, but you, you'd watch a Cornelius and Zira sitcom, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think I would. I, I like them. You could call it monkey relationship business. Between them. Monkey business. Well, not really. There's already been a couple of films called that part. That's true. Yeah. What what could we call it? What could we call it? Um. 
This could be a while. Chimpanzee. 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 That's yeah. what you're going with. That's what I'm going with. Yes. All right. That's all. That's all I've got. <laughs> Cornelius and Zira are amazed he can talk. After all, they only found one of her like him. They reveal that they don't know where Taylor is. Cornelius tells him that Zira is the reason Taylor isn't a stuffed exhibition in the Great Hall like his two friends. Oh, like an ape version of Body Worlds. That's true. And he's talking about um, the ones in the first movie, isn't he, that, that Taylor found? Yes, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Brent asks for some food and water so he can get out, and a map. Zira cleans his wounds and Cornelius gets the map. He shows where the last time they saw Taylor, and this is where Zira reveals she is a trained vet. Cornelius says that Taylor was heading towards the Forbidden Zone. Suddenly, there's a knock on the door. They hide Nova and Brent. It's Dr. Zayas. He's come to talk some sense into Zira. And she's holding the blooded cloth from Brent's wound to her face and says that Cornelius hit her for her bad behaviour at the meeting. Dr. Zayas doesn't blame him and Zira says she doesn't resent it, but his nails need clipping. Yeah. <laughs> this is... Uh... I, I, I do say here that so in, ni- in 3955 AD, some 1970s spousal abuse was acceptable even in the world of apes. <laughs> yeah, it, it, is a, it, it is a bit... Um... It's a bit uncomfortable, even though you're looking at people dressed as apes. You still think, "Oh, this is a bit, uh, this is a bit on the nose and a bit yeah. wrong, isn't it?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to say at this point though that that Brent is taking all this in his stride very well, considering that well, it's been about half a day since since he crash landed on this planet, and he's met talking apes. He's 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 doing all right. I don't think. I mean, you I don't. Just I don't. I, it really. You... I don't think Taylor took it this this easily, did he? In in the first movie, so in many respects, he's superior to uh, Charlton Heston. I guess so. it depends who you are. Some people just, you know, they they accept the idea of talking apes, and and then do a podcast with one. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> What? <laughs> Nothing. Not saying anything. Doctor Zayas says that Ursus now has the incident he requires to go on a rampage of conquest. Zira believes they can no longer stand quietly by. Zayas says, as Minister of Science, it is his duty to find out if other forms of life exist. He is going versus into the Forbidden Zone because something has outwitted the intelligence of the gorillas. That shouldn't be difficult, remarks Zira. And Dr. Zayas has changed his tune since the first movie about the Forbidden Zone, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Mm-hmm. I guess his curiosity, his scientific uh, and I suppose that, curiosity is... Yeah, and I suppose that if he's saying... Well, we've already said we don't know what the timescale is, so they've obviously sent scouting parties out into the Forbidden Zone. But then why yeah. would you if... It's it's the forbidden zone. So why would you go there? Well, he, uh, Ursus doesn't really. He's like 
they've been told it's the Forbidden Zone by the Lawgiver, mm-hmm. but it's just words in a book kind of thing. Uh, so so he, Ursus yeah. thinks they need to expand. Also, he sees the Forbidden Zone as a danger, and he wants to conquer that danger. Right. Okay. Yeah. And there's a famine, you know. They need new places to cultivate. Mm-hmm. Dr. Zayas says that the apes have learned to live in innocence. Let no one, be it man or some other creature of dirt, to contaminate their innocence. Zira is unimpressed. Is innocence so evil? Zayas asks her. Ignorance is. There is a time for truth, and that time is always now. Zayas asks her to put aside her principles while he is gone. A truce on her personal feelings in an hour of public danger. Cornelius chimes in. You shall have it, or I'll hit her again. Yeah. Dr. Zayas says if he doesn't return, then the whole civilization will be theirs to save or to destroy. And he leaves. Brent and Nova leave their hiding place. Zira says she'll get him some clothes and they shall hide his dog tags. Cornelius tells him not to speak because if he is captured, they'll dissect him, then kill him in that order. He says thanks. Zira replies, thank us by finding Taylor. They leave, and in the woods, Brent gets changed into the clothes he's given, and they ride through the woods. Suddenly, the horse is shot, and they go flying. There's a moment when um, Brent's changing in the woods, when Nova turns around and gives him a bit of a look up and down, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there uh, is. I, yeah. I, I couldn't help but think that she's thinking that she's traded up for a younger model. Yeah, I mean, he looks like Charlton. Yeah, yeah. He's just fitter and I mean, she doesn't know any, any better, does she? I mean, she's... No, no let's not go there. <laughs> what, 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 what is she, pal? Strumpet? What is she? Come on. She's, she's a primitive. Ah. Yes. I think you're all high and mighty, <laughs> do you? Well, I, I can recognise Jane Francisco from uh, Charlton Heston. Could you in a lineup? I think I could, yes. If it was, if it was, I, I if it was, like if it was Charlton Heston, James Francisco, mm-hmm. and you in a lineup, I could pick out Charlton Heston easily. All right. Yeah. It's not really much of a lineup, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> not exactly taxing yourself, though, right? Yeah. Well, I'd, well I'd, I'm just pointing it out. I could do that. So. Yeah. yeah, I feel like this is like a quiz show in the making. <laughs> what? Um, no, I've, I haven't got anything. Chucky time. Chucky yeah. time, where you have to discover. No, I don't think it'll be Charlton Heston all the time. It has to be different people, otherwise that's going to be easy for you. And we're going to run out of Charlton Heston lookalikes. Would NASA's only got so many? Yeah, but you you mentioned before that, that that's the only people that they employ. Maybe. Okay, so maybe there's hundreds of Charlton Heston lookalikes at yeah. NASA. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming it's NASA. It's never actually mentioned, is it? No, don't they? That it's in NASA. The, you don't really see it in this movie, but don't you see the NASA logo on his jumpsuit in the first movie? Oh, uh, it's I think been you a might while, do. so maybe yeah. you do. Okay, all right. Well, that went nowhere, didn't it? <laughs> Suddenly the horse is shot and they go flying. They see gorillas watching them and run. The gorillas give chase. They run into a net and are trapped. The soldiers chain them up and take them to cages with other humans in. The other humans sense that Brent Mm. is different. 
We cut to scenes of soldiers attacking and trapping humans. Brent and Nova are caged in a curtain taken to somewhere else. Along the way, he sees the gorillas preparing for war. We see humans being whipped, hunted, chained down and used as target practice. Eventually, they reach the destination. It is the laboratory run by Zira and Cornelius. She sees Brent and tells the surgeon to not cage him up. She pretends that she's interested in his head because it is a type E cranium. Weak occipital development and substandard lobe. Sorry, that's not from the film. I'm just reading your medical notes, Paul. <laughs> They're private. Are they? I, I, I'll shred them. I'm pretty sure that during that uh, montage of, of the, the apes training with the... Um with the humans as target practice, that some of that horseplay wouldn't be allowed in a modern movie. I mean, when they drag that net over that guy on that horse and the horse actually turns completely over, it, it, it doesn't look right. No. It, it looks a bit... I'm just... Ooh, so, so when you said horseplay, you actually meant horseplay. Oh, I meant horseplay, horses. yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it just, it just looked a bit off and a bit painful for the horse. <laughs> you know, they literally pull it completely over i'm surprised they haven't cut that in the uk version because they don't usually accept animal cruelty in films yeah and and i watched the blu-ray um from from my blu-ray set so it's still there right so, um no when they go into the um laboratory or whatever it is that that, that she works in is she meant to be neutering that guy on the table because he's laying splayed out and she's uh She's up in his nethers. Yeah, maybe. Maybe she's seen how it works. I think she... <laughs> she's, she's not a very good vet if she doesn't know how it works, is she? <laughs> well, that's how you find out, isn't it? By examining. Although... I think, I think, many, I think the implication many... is she's neutering him. Well, how, oh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, castrating. I guess mm. so, because you're not going to be examining at this point. You examine mm. one human... And you don't want them to breed, another, right? do you? Yeah, you don't want them to breed, do you? So, But do you not want them to breed? Because they use them as slaves to do stuff. So you need more, right? Or are they just mm. a nuisance? Mm, I suppose you want to limit how many you have, don't you? Yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit concerned that we're, we're planning our eugenics... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just Philosophy, trying to figure out Logic of the film, really. Okay, all right, okay. Zero wants them brought inside, but Ursa says no. They are marked for target practice. They are taken away. They are caged up, and they are being transported to a target range. Zero secretly takes the key to the cage. She tells the driver to halt while she double locks the door, but in doing so, she really unlocks it. She whispers good luck to Brent, and they are carried away. As the cat travels down the lane, Brent climbs out of the back onto the top of the cage. He pulls the driver back and a fight between them breaks out while the cat and horses ride out of control. Brent manages to push the driver up and the driver hits a tree branch and is knocked off. Brent grabs the reins of the horses and brings the cat to a stop. He unbuckles the horses, unshackles Nova and they climb on the horses and ride away. Meanwhile, a gorilla sees them and a patrol gives chase. Pretty sure a gorilla could just rip his arm off, couldn't <laughs> Really? 
But then again, I suppose that they are, they're not, they're not the gorillas that we know, are they? They're evolved by what, about 2,000 years yes. at this point? Yeah. Which, which I suppose explains why they look more like humans in the way that they walk than... All right, so I completely yeah. talked myself out of that, so... Okay, good. <laughs> we'll carry on then. All right. It's a train of thought. They train of thought just took me somewhere and then took me out of it completely. So. It's fine. Right. It's fine. They fire at Brenton Nova. They come to high mountain peaks and can't take the horses any further. They start to clamber and scramble through the rocks. The guards are close behind. Eventually, Brent and Nova find a cave and head in. The guards don't follow... Not not sure why they don't follow them. It's not like the cave is hidden. No, they don't follow them because they've got a great attitude to work. It looks a bit too dangerous. It looks a bit too much like hard work. I mean, you know, they've got away, right? So, you know... Sounds familiar, right? No, no, I'm just saying, you know, they've got away at this point, so... Yeah. What, what, what's the point? So, we'll just wander around up here and pretend we're looking for them. Yeah, yeah, wander about, have a bit, a bit of a sit, you know. Got it. Be fine. Down below, the scraggy rocks turn into human-manufactured tiles. Brent sees something dusty and wipes away at it to reveal the word... Telephone. It's a public telephone, and he's in a subway system. He sees a name on the tiles, Queensborough Plaza. He jumps down onto the track and finds an old poster that says New York on it. Yeah. So, Queensborough Plaza is in Long Island City, Queens, New York. So we're in New York, basically. This used to be my home. I lived here. Well, was he homeless? <laughs> Why was he living in the subway? <laughs> Hard place to be living. I think you're taking it literally. <laughs> oh, that's the only way I like to take yeah, it. Yeah, I've heard that. He looks at the ruins and asks, Did we do it? Did we finally do it? To be fair, I often think that when I'm in the New York subway, some of the stations look like they've been in a nuclear accident anyway. <laughs> does it look a bit post-apocalyptic, does it? <laughs> yeah, so it's hard to yeah. tell. Okay. <laughs> we cut to a minister giving a prayer to the lawgiver, blessing the general's troops. Zaius looks embarrassed. <laughs> the troops begin to assemble and leave the city. Dr. Zaius is alongside Ursus. Meanwhile, Zira and Cornelius watch. Zira says that it's time for a change, but Cornelius doesn't know how they can take control when there's so few chimpanzees. As the war party leaves the city, they encounter a small protest of chimpanzees. No more lies, no more crud, no more guns, no more blood, stop the war! This is obviously a commentary on what was going on in America at that time. And it, it was yes. probably very on the nose to a lot of people. I mean, the, with all the... You know, the young people protesting against the war and being manhandled away. Um, mm-hmm. It was probably it was probably cut quite deep, I would have thought. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, that's, what the, that, that's what the Planet of the Apes movies do really well. All the way through the series, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Even Escape? All right, maybe not Escape. But it's good fun, though. It's a fun <laughs> movie, that one. <laughs> These protesters sit down in front of the war party blocking the road. The general orders them removed, but Dr. Zayas says, we don't want martyrs. So they're removed peacefully. They're dragged away and placed in cages. The war party continues to leave the city. 
you know, considering there's all these chimpanzees around, I still think it's a shame this film's really missing a nice cup of tea. <laughs> So Brett and Nova are resting in the underground station. Brett notices water dripping from a rock and goes to quench his thirst before taking another look around. He looks at... <laughs> he looks at... No, jump in whenever you've got anything. Yeah. Brent goes to look outside the cave, but the apes are still sitting around and waiting. And it amuses me how they're all just talking like soldiers, moaning about the detail that they're yeah. on, and they're just, they're just talking like... just. Just guys, just, oh, in this a pain yeah, in the ass. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Oh, we're in the forbidden zone. Don't really want to be in the forbidden zone. When can we go home? That's fun. That's fun. Yeah. Brent goes back inside. He wakes Nova and they set off down the tunnel. Suddenly, they hear a low hum and they go to look for its source. They reach a large cave with a ladder leading up to another tunnel. Brent says that whoever they are, they're guiding us. And that they must breathe air. Why? Because they're breathing air. But what? what air in the but tunnels. it's a weird statement to say. What I mean, what what would give him the impression that they wouldn't breathe air? Yeah, okay. fair point. Brent goes to climb the ladder, and he realizes that every time he touches the ladder, the hum stops. They're just playing with him at this point, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, it's a bit easy to get into this place, though, isn't it? But they're leading him, aren't they? They want him to come, right. don't they? Yeah. He, want him to he reasons that there must be an intelligence behind all this. Is the hum a warning or a directional device? The only way to find out is to head on in there. And that's what they do. They climb up into the tunnel. They emerge into what looks like the old city buried on the rock. And there's quite a lot of um, really good matte painting shots in this, I think. Yep, yep. Queensborough Plaza is about an hour's walk from the uh, New York Public Library. Fair enough. Uh, New York Radio City Hall. It's not too far. It's all right. That's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. New York Stock Exchange is an hour's walk from the New York Public Library. It's at the southern end of Manhattan. <laughs> so there's some weird ge geography going on with New York at this point. As they explore deeper, the hum intensifies until suddenly it stops. Went off Shatner then, didn't it? Yeah. They reach what looks like the doors to a huge cathedral. There's a fountain outside filled with water. But when Brent tries to drink it, he spits it out. It's rancid. They walk slowly towards the doors when suddenly a fountain begins to spurt new water. Brent approaches it cautiously then takes another sip. But luckily this water is good and he urges Nova to also drink. All of a sudden, a high-pitched hum sounds. Brent seems to lose control of himself. He grips Nova's throat, holding her head under the water, drowning her. She struggles until Brent lets go and staggers back against the wall. Get out of my head! He screams, backing into the doors and entering the cathedral. It's like a Saturday morning for you, isn't it? <laughs> We've all had nights like this. What, what, <laughs> what is it with the 60s and 70s where the, the idea of sound as a weapon... They seemed obsessed with sound as a weapon back then. Yeah, they did it a lot in Star Trek as well, didn't they? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's probably it's it's a very was it a new a new thing that people were experimenting with at the time it, or something? It could be, and it's also weirdly for, for the fact that it's sound, but it's also a visual thing as well, isn't it? Because 
because you clutch your head. It and gives the actor it's a, cheap yeah. as well. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's cheap. You don't need to put any effects on. It's just a guy or a woman clutching their head. How many times in Star Trek did we see Captain Kirk clutch his head and fling himself backwards? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure in our last podcast there's a moment where people will be clutching their heads and screaming. Yes. Inside the cathedral, Brent stirs in disbelief at what looks like a nuclear missile set up as an altar with a man in robes crying beneath it. You cried before an altar in your time, haven't you? I have, yes. Do you want to expand on that, Colin? Oh, yeah, sure. I remember uh, in the uh, mid-90s where you had the altar to Erika Eliniak. You often found on your knees crying before it. Me, Colin? Yeah, you. Me? You. Erika Eliniak? I have another go at her name, but yeah. Erika, what is it? Erika, I can't even say it because I don't, I, it wasn't me. I mean, I was a fan of Linda Hamilton. Do we have to do Beauty and the Beast? Oh, we are going to do Beauty and the Beast at some point, Colin. Don't you worry about that. Trust me, I'm going to be sick that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, sorry, for I've come down with something. Well, I can't do it. Do it with some other person who's available. And what would be the fun in that? We've got history with Beauty and the Beast, so that would be good. You've got history. No, we've got history. How many arguments have we had about Beauty and the Beast? How many episodes are there of Beauty and the Beast? There's three seasons. So say 75 episodes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 75 arguments we've had then. (laughs) (laughs) The man holds up his arms and says, I reveal my innermost self to my God. In his hand, he holds some... (laughs) What was that? What was that? I was just... Does a god really need to see your innermost self? Well, he's omnipotent, isn't he? He can have children. What are you talking about? (laughs) In his hand, he holds something, but we can't see what it is. Well, say nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Keep going. Brett runs back to the doors, but the man in robes turns to look at him. And this robe figure is a Miami Vice connection. Did you notice that? Nope. Lay it on me, pal. This robed figure played Lieutenant Castillo's predecessor in the first few episodes of Miami Vice. Can you remember his character's name? Lou. That's the one. It's one of the weird things about Miami Vice is that's the most unoriginal yeah. thing yeah. that they he, did in the whole series. And he's a very, he's a, as you say, he's a very stereotypical... Um, yeah, captain, shouty. Yeah. 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 This is that guy. Did not recognise him at all. He's a little bit younger, obviously. Brent starts a conversation with the figure, but the man communicates by telepathy. And we only hear what Brent's side of the conversation is as he asks if the others will hurt Nova. Maybe not physically, but here, in the head, telepathically. And the robed man's side of the conversation is illustrated by sounds only. It's like little pings and whirs and beeps and things, isn't it? Yeah. Again, Brent takes this all rather well, I think. <laughs> you know, he's... he's He's encoded telepathy now. It's all, That's true. There's not much else you can do at this point, though. No, it's all in a day's work for Brent. Yes, yeah. Suddenly, two more robed figures grab Brent and lead him away. And we cut to another room where more of these robed figures stand on what looks like a chessboard, watching a vision of what just happened in the cathedral. They watch as Brent is led away, past a group of children dressed the same as the robed figures, who all look like they're playing a variation of Ringa Ringa Roses. Oh, really? Yeah, they're singing it. Are they? Hmm. Oh, must have snoozed at this point. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you did look a bit lost. I, <laughs> I, I have the director's cut where they're actually singing another brick in the wall. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, totally different. Oh, that's interesting. In my version, they're singing Ring of Roses. Oh, no, another brick in the wall. Really? No, not really, pal. Making it up. Actually, oh. <laughs> Teacher! <laughs> Leave those kids alone! <laughs> you had me going for a second there. Eh? I believed really? you completely. All we yeah. are is... Another, another brick, brick in the wall. In the wall. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's the version I watched. Pal. If you went, if you went to seven and never bought that, would you? What you paid for it? I would have done. Yes. Yeah. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have bought the movie again just for the variation in the song. I wish I never said anything. Now I'd like to have seen that look on your face, telling all your friends. Get get ready for this bit. You never guess what they've done here on the American version. <laughs> ring a ring a roses. What in? <laughs> In my defence, sometimes there are differences in 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 choices of music or songs and things in different releases. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So. In your defence, yes, that's what I'm sticking to. Brent is led to a hallway past lots of busts of men and women. I really shouldn't have written it that way. <laughs> 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 He's in a room with statues of. of, of yeah, busts. that's a better yeah. way of saying it, isn't it? <laughs> He's led into a room, another room, and he's lots of rooms, and faces what looks to be the leaders of these people. He asks who they are, but they remain silent. One of them seems to be King Tut from Batman. Means nothing to me, pal. I mean, obviously I understand the words Batman and King Tut, but put them together and it means nothing to me. It's the guy that played King Tut in Batman 1966, as they call it these days. Oh. There's a King Tut in Batman 1966. There is, yes. There is, yes. Does, does he just come on and go... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, he's he's um, he's a, a college professor who gets hit on the head and thinks that he's the reincarnation of King Tut. Oh. It's, it's all very well done in the 1960s Batman yeah. kind of way. Yeah, yeah. 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 They question him telepathically, asking his name, how he got there. They believe he's a spy. He tells them about Taylor, and they show an image of Taylor behind some kind of bars. Lined with shots. Oh, not that kind of bar? No, not those. No, oh, unfortunately sorry. not. No. No, no, no. Brent tries to explain that they are here out of time. They ask him, does he know how to get back? But he doesn't know. Then they ask him about Nova, and he feigns ignorance. Suddenly they attack him telepathically, causing him great pain, until he relents and admits that he does know Nova, but he tells them that she's harmless and a friend, that she helped him break out of Ape City. You'd think they'd know all this. They're telepathic. It seems very hit and miss what they know and what they don't know. I I don't know if you've mentioned it yet, but they have the ability of creating an illusion of flame and a sonic deterrence, and they say that it's all an illusion, how is sonic pain an illusion? It hurts. Yeah, that's not an illusion, is it? No. No. It's almost like it hasn't been thought through very well. It's a little muddled at this point. I do think the mutant part of this movie is part that doesn't quite gel very well. It feels a bit slapdash and a little bit sort of, I'll just go with it at yeah. this point. We'll, we'll go with it, be fine. They suddenly bombard him with more questions all at once, which he finds painful to take. We've all been there. But yes. 
Brent screams that he can't take all the telepathic questions. And you couldn't watch this section, could you, if you had epilepsy, because it's flashing all over the place. The questions suddenly stop and the leader finally speaks, saying that Brett must have limited intelligence. Cheeky. I know. And that they all need to speak aloud, one at a time, for him to be able to process it. I always find that annoying about these telepaths, that they always consider themselves higher intelligence just because they can project their thoughts into your head instead of speaking. Yeah, you know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of that terrible... Well, it's I don't think it's terrible, but a lot of people do. The terrible... The so-called terrible Star Trek episode in the third season. The one with Captain Kirk pretending to be a donkey. Oh, all right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yes, the, one, it's the one with the famous kiss. Quote-unquote yeah. kiss, yeah. which isn't really a kiss. But, um, yeah, it reminded me of that. Yeah, I, but I, I, I'm saying I just find it annoying about telepaths with the jumped-up ideas about projecting the thoughts into people's head is some kind of greater skill when in fact speaking eloquently something we often fail at doing is very easily a higher form of communication than just banging your thoughts into someone else's head that's very true i mean we fail at it most of the time because we're drunk yeah yeah. if we if we could do a telepathic podcast it'd be piece of piss we'd be the best telepathic podcast yeah going and that was difficult to say (laughs) (laughs) see proving a point right yes that this speech it's heard and these telepaths they need to get off the high horse they do yes i I completely agree with you colin i think we should start a movement start a movement yeah like a little gyration i'm glad you went with that and not the other thing oh like a bowel movement yes (laughs) no now you've ruined it (laughs) it's all gone to shit now is it is that what you're saying Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 <sighs> Where am I? They ask. <laughs> just just think about it. What? Form an image in your head. I'll try not to. No, like a telepath. Oh, right, okay. What would help me there? Just be a sound of, like, tumbleweed. <laughs> See, you, you're being mean again. Oh, it's both of us. I won't just... Being specific to you. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. It's unlike you, but okay. <laughs> I felt I felt you deserved at least one. Oh, thank you. Um, they ask him about being in eight. In, uh, Hold on, let me just make a note that I've done that for the year. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to drop. Go on. They ask him about his time in the City of the Apes. What he saw there. Brent realizes suddenly that they are speaking to him with their mouths. They admit that they can speak. They use it when they pray and when they talk to their god. Wait, so their god can't pick up their telepathic thoughts? I guess not. They have to shout at him? Well... So this so this god is a primitive? A limited intelligence? Well, he's as a, he referred to... Well, uh, he's a missile. Brent. He's a missile, isn't he, their god? Yeah, but they don't think of him as a missile. They think of him as a god. I suppose. But he's a god that can't pick up their telepathic thoughts, no. only if you yell at him. <laughs> what? What's that? <laughs> what are you? Can you pray loud, louder? I can't hear you. He's got one of those trumpet things. <laughs> yeah. You you want a donkey? Oh, there's monkeys. What? <laughs> I've no idea what these guys are saying. Why are they using telepathy? Brent realizes that they are worshiping the atomic bomb in the cathedral. 
They call it a holy weapon of peace, which amuses him greatly until suddenly the high-pitched hum returns, causing him great pain. They release Brent and tell him that they must know whether the apes want war or peace, and that the only weapons that they have are the powers of the mind and illusions. They demonstrate to him... <laughs> what? Sorry, it's like a... What, what, what's that magician's name? <laughs> like a Paul Daniels or a David Copperfield? He's like... Ta-da! Like pulling like... They bring out Debbie, Debbie McGee and saw her in half. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, There's some cheesy music playing. <laughs> Give us a second. Don't look at the hands. Look over there. Yeah, yeah. It worked in rehearsal. Trust me. <laughs> they demonstrate to him how they use visual illusions. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, card tricks. Yeah, yeah. Such as fire and audio illusions, such as the sonic vibration. Not an illusion. It's not, no. It's sonic. Brent becomes angry and questions the hypocrisy. He asks them if the bomb is is alive, but they don't reply. No, that's not that's not what he asks. He doesn't ask if it's alive, does he? He asks if it's alive. <laughs> <laughs> is that a is that, that bomb? Is it breathing? Well, no, it's a bomb. What are you, mad, I'll, Brent? I'll do that again. Whatever, Brett, whatever your name is, because we can't remember. Brent becomes angry and questions the hypocrisy. He asks them if the bomb is live, but they don't reply. They go on to say that they are the keepers of the bomb. It is their only purpose. And that they are defenceless against the slaughterous, materialistic apes. Why are they materialistic? You don't see them going shopping all the time. Um, and... <laughs> yeah, they just, just care about clutch bags. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Why are they materialistic? Because they like um, bananas a lot. I mean, what, what, what's going on? Actually, you never you never see me bananas you don't. in this film. You, don't. No. you do in the first movie, I think, don't you? Do you? Yeah, I don't know why they are materialistic. Um, because they covet lands, but then they just covet the lands to survive, grow yeah. crops. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good point. Brent just views them all with disgust, and then hopes that they both annihilate each other. Mm, prophetic and then thinks hold on i'm on the planet yeah. uh hold on <laughs> wait wait till i've left and then annihilate each other they tell him that they caught some of the ape scouts i don't, I don't mean you know how many badges you got well this one's for killing humans <laughs> this one this one this one is for hanging humans this one is for flaying humans I'm not a theme in your badges. Do you not have one for, uh, you know, woggles? Nope, just killing humans. That's all I got. Never killed a woggle. And tried to question these ape scouts the same way, but it sounds like they didn't survive the questioning. No, it's a question that involves chopping your head off or something. I think that so. That kind of questioning. So. Yeah. Always uh, goes wrong. It makes the head explode or something like that. Uh, you know. Yeah. Brent then says that he doesn't know anything about the apes. Suddenly Nova is dragged in. Brent implores them not to hurt her. She can't even talk, he says. But they tell him that they never hurt anyone. Not strictly true, is it? No. Using their powers, they force Brent to kiss Nova, while at the same time throttling her. She drops to the floor, and Brent tries to fool them with a lie, but they tell him that they know if he's being truthful, so they can read minds as well. Yeah, which, why are they questioning him? Yeah. I, if they can read the minds. And why do they eventually get beaten because if they can read minds they'd be one step ahead of everybody that's trying to get to them every time wouldn't they 
can't read the minds of the apes because the skulls are too thick. This is, yeah. Is there any, at any point in the movie, or maybe I should mention this later, I'll mention it now. Is there any point in the movie where they explicitly say that they can't influence the apes in the same way that they influence Brent and Nova and Taylor? Because because why don't they just get the apes to kill each other? Because they, they do say they can't create sonic pain because the ape skulls are too thick. They do say that. So that's why they maybe... But but then, all right, that's the sonic pain part. Do you think that is why they can't get them to kill each other? Yeah, I think that's... The implication. It's connected to okay, that. Right. Yeah. Because that always bothered me. It's like, why don't they just get the apes to kill each other? Because because humans I, I, killing each other is a big thing that's going to come up in just a moment. <laughs> Isn't it? So Right. Okay. Yeah. Nova comes too, but he's terrified of Brent. Brent tells them, finally, that the apes are marching on the Forbidden City. We cut to a shot of the apes marching through the desert. It's an impressive shot, this. Lots of extras. It's all... I mean, today this would be done with lots of CGI, but it's lots of real people marching through a desert. Yeah. They advance towards the rock walls and find a vision of crucified apes burning in fires. The soldiers are terrified, and this is pretty full on. Yeah. I mean, they're upside down, crucified, screaming. There's fire everywhere. There's blood all over the place. This is a kid's movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what you say. Yeah. Dr. Zayas tells the general that he told him that they would be facing terrors such as this. But General Ursus vows to make them pay for what they've done. He's not that bright. No, he's not. But then why is Dr. Zayas so clever? Why does he get all this? He he never seems to be sort of particularly phased by it. And he works it out very quickly in a moment, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. I don't understand how he knows it's a vision. Mm. There's always that question, does Dr. Zayas know a lot more than what he's letting on? That's even in the could first be, movie as be. well, isn't it? Yeah. Dr. Zayas asks the general to put the tortured apes out of their misery and shoot them. But the general insists that you can't order them to do what the lawgiver has forbidden them to do. Ape shall not kill ape. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, a burning statue of the lawgiver appears and tears of blood flow from its eyes. This sends the gorillas into a frenzy. Dr. Zayas suddenly realises, suddenly realises, that this is just a vision and rides into the fire. But nothing happens. The statue collapses into a fireball and then everything suddenly disappears. I wonder if he knows that it's a vision because deep down he understands that the whole lawgiver thing is a nonsense. Yeah, could be. That would make sense. I always get the impression that Dr. Zayas has probably read stuff about humans as well, that only he's seen. Right. But I, I do. Yeah. He, he, he does seem to be more cynical than the rest of them. Right. I think as well. Which makes him a very good foil for Taylor, I think, in the first movie. It does. Because there's an understanding between the two of them that they're both full of shit. It's kind of like us. <laughs> Oh, we don't understand a thing. So. <laughs> no, but, but we're both full of shit. Yeah, he's very true. Dr. Yeah. Zayas declares the vision false and the general orders the advance. I'm pretty sure that I still wouldn't advance after seeing that. I'd advance, but I'd be very slow and at the back. <laughs> One disobey an order, pal. No, no, you just, you know, shuffle. Back with the worshippers, who have all been watching all this unfold on the Vision Netflix channel that they've got. 
Nice. There's just one guy, though, he's just watching Tom and Jerry. <laughs> just on a different <laughs> channel from the rest of them. Yeah, he's asking for the password. So, so can I pick... Can <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> you can't own. log in. <laughs> yeah. Cheapskate. Uh, oh, yeah, they're all on Netflix and there's just one on BritBox. Yeah. <laughs> he's watching Rising Damp. He knows where he's coming from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They call the apes stupid animals. I mean, they're not that stupid. They figured it out. Yeah. They admit now that they have no defense against the apes except for the bomb. The leader orders the direction mm. of the ape city to be programmed into the rocket and that all the adults should head to the cathedral and that all the children should be kept indoors. Indoors were. It's all indoors. They're, un- they're underground. That's not going to help them anyway. Not really. The apes continue their advance. They reach the edge of a cliff overlooking an impressive map painting of a ruined New York. Later in the cathedral, a whole congregation is singing hymns as an organ plays. Brent and Nova, now dressed in robes, are sitting watching all of this unfold. The leader prays before the bomb, praising the bomb, and it's cleansing fire. This is all a bit weird and a, a bit sort of off-kilter now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm. It's got a bit odd. He manipulates some controls, which do look a lot like the controls of Superman's Fortress of Solitude. <gasps> Maybe that's what it is? Well, th- there was a, a, um, a, a incorrect movie myth that um, they used the same um, models and um, props in Superman from this movie. But it, it, it isn't true because Superman was shot in the UK and this was shot in... Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, but yeah. but it, it is a thing that a lot of people believe apparently. It's one of those weird internet rumour things. Right. Glory be to the bomb, says the leader, and to the holy fallout. We've had a few of those in our time, haven't we? (laughs) Yep. The praising and singing continues, and the leader asks the bomb for deliverance and peace. Brent just watches, concern and dread upon his face. Behold the truth that is inside of us, says the leader. Everyone stands. And in unison, says, I reveal my innermost self to my God. God's going, oh, God, not, not again. again. They'll just keep revealing themselves. Yeah. They re- Can you imagine if you had to do this in um, Church of England? Um, did you go to a Church of England primary yes, school? Did, yes, Yes, so every Wednesday you had assemble. You had to reveal yourself. At the church. To your God. And reveal yourself yeah. to my God. Yeah. That's why there's so many priests from the 80s being locked up these days. They reach up. And everyone removes their face. They're all wearing masks. Their real faces are disfigured, mutated, masses of veins and scarred tissue. They are mutants. Next, everyone launches into a rendition of All Things Bright and Beautiful. Now, don't tell me this was, yeah, this was a Led Zeppelin song on your version. <laughs> Colin. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be really disappointed at this point. Oh, no. It was actually a Carpenter oh, song. That's all right. Uh, that's all right. No. All right. No, you don't care about that. The leader tells everyone to go to the private shelter. Ooh, it's a bit elitist, isn't it? Yeah, private Ooh. shelter. A booper. Only if she asks. Wait, if he's telling everyone to go to it, why is it private? Yeah, he's not thought that one through, has he, really? Yeah. No. Is that, wait, no, I meant go to the public one. Ah, damn. <laughs> <laughs> My gold-plated toilet's going to be ruined. <laughs> Now, this whole sequence is fantastic. Um, 
it, it is disturbing. It's very much a product of its time. You know, that whole fear of the bomb and nuclear war was probably very much mm. in everyone's mind at this point. You know, it, this is what all the good Planet of the Apes movies do so well. They pick up on what's relevant in that time period and, and, and then reflect it back at the audience, don't they? Yeah. As they take Brent back to his cell, he asks them, when they can hope to be set free, you may hope whenever you please, replies his captor. All right. How can we set you free? Asks another of his captors. You've learned too many of our secrets. Like your friend, he tells him. Mm, who's he talking about? This is his secret imaginary friend called <laughs> No, Gladys? they open a cell door oh. and a man turns around. It's Taylor. Chuck Heston's back in the movie. Hey. All right. You, you can imagine the audience going, hey, he's back. <laughs> we don't have to look at this guy that we don't know who he is or anything. Then then just looking at the watch is going, oh, not back for uh, long. They wouldn't, maybe they think, oh, maybe there's another two hours of this movie left. Maybe maybe Heston's going to take charge of the movie now. He's going he's gonna to ride roughshod over the entire film. All right, let's see. Carry on, Paul. They get back together. Explaining to each other how they got there and what happened to them in the desert. Taylor asks about Nova, and Brent explains that she's with him. He also explains that the people use their powers to try and make him kill Nova. The guard who is listening tells them that they're a peaceful people, and that they do not kill their enemies. Instead, they get their enemies to kill themselves. That's a lousy way of getting out of it, isn't it? Well, I've got a problem with this, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Brent and Taylor back away as the guard uses his powers to force the two men to fight each other like savages. Why doesn't he just get them to strangle themselves? You can't strangle yourself. Well, if they can control what they do, if they can control them and make them fight each other. No, because you would fall unconscious. Okay, how about this then? The spikes on the door. Why don't he just get them to run into the spikes? Well, maybe they can only get them to kill each other, but you can't kill yourself because their passion to stay alive is too strong i think it's more of the fact that they're getting some kind of sadistic pleasure about about because i mean when he when he makes them fight in a moment he's kind of smiling as he's watching them do it oh so you're saying it's a form of entertainment so. and enjoyment i from think it. so okay yeah, i think it's another illustration about how humans are are pretty bad right and there's not a lot of redeeming qualities right. about humans you know that we find pleasure in people's misfortune and, and, and pain. I mean, that's why we do this podcast. To, to inflict pain? <laughs> On other people, yes. <laughs> that, okay, yeah. that's what you were saying. All right. Yeah. Um, it's a brutal fight, and the two men almost kill each other as Taylor smashes Brent's head against the wall. The guard asks another man to hand him a mace. He opens the door and throws the weapon onto the ground. The fight continues... Brent swings the mace, trying to kill Taylor. It's a, it's a good fight, this. Yeah? Yeah, I didn't write this in my notes, but when I was watching it, I remember thinking to myself, this rivals uh, They Live for a fight sequence. Yeah, although I think that's more played for, for laughs. laughs. Yeah, this is quite brutal, isn't it? Like most of this movie, it's quite brutal. It is, but I also think this is played for time. <laughs> yeah, it looks a bit stagey as well. It's brutal, but it's stagey. Yeah. But that was how fight... Yeah. Scenes were about it. Nova hears the fight as she's been led to her cell and runs from her captor to see the two men fighting. Suddenly she screams, Taylor's name. She can finally speak. It's a big moment. It is, and it, it you know takes them out yeah. of the anger to each other. Nova's voice distracts the guard using his power 
and the two men awake from their mesmerism. Taylor attacks the guard, and Brent slams him into the spikes of the door, killing him. And as he dies, he removes his mask, revealing his innermost self to his god. Oh, very nice. Taylor helps Brent, making a bandage for his wounds from the dead man's clothes. Brent tells Taylor that the people have a nuclear bomb. Taylor asks Brent what type of bomb it is, and if he saw any serial number on it. Brent tells him that all he saw was two Greek letters, the Alpha and the Omega. Yeah. Taylor recognizes this. Christian, uh, let me just, let's, let's, let's just explain what Go that on. is, Paul. Oh, I thought no, you were going no. to explain it. Go on. All right. In Christianity, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet used to designate the comprehensive kind of funky. Would you like to be my orangutan? Ooh. We could make our bread grow working in a sideshow. I am the first and the last. Well, welcome to Bible Studies with uh, Colin and Paul. Uh, <laughs> Taylor helps Brent making a bandage for his wounds from the dead man's clothes. I've done that already. I've done all that, haven't I? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're way behind. You've gone back in time. <laughs> Were you in the, the little spaceship? <laughs> <laughs> the Brent I think I might have been. Hello, welcome to Retrospection. <laughs> On this episode, we're doing Night Rider. Uh, <laughs> Taylor recognizes this immediately. It's a doomsday bomb, a lovely souvenir from the 20th century, he says. It's a world ending bomb. So he left the 20th century. I guess it's never mentioned what data no, no, leaves, but right? In terms of the technology of what they've got, they've got, I mean, they've got cryogenic chambers. In the spaceship, mm. I you know I, I always assumed that it was probably later, like the late twenty first century, but no, it's the twenty twentieth century apparently. Yeah, but I guess that's because we're viewing it from well, now as our age and stuff. If you're in the sixties, well, think or of whatever, UFO that was set in nineteen eighty, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much everything we do that's futuristic <laughs> is set a time before we're actually yeah. doing it. It's a it. shame we never got we never got what we were promised, isn't it? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, apart from. You know, pandemic. Yeah, that's, that's come true. <laughs> it's, not all, it's not all a loss. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Forget the jet yeah. boots. Pandemic, we got yeah, that. We don't need flying cars, do we? We've got, we, we've got uh, no. massive death on a global scale. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, there you go. Brent tells Taylor that the people have no idea what they have. And if they shoot it off against the apes, it could set off a chain reaction in the atmosphere, destroying the world. Now, Taylor's a very cynical character, isn't he, compared to Brent? He's kind of like, well, just let him yes. bloody use it. They all deserve it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. We cut outside, and the apes discover the passage leading down to the subterranean world. They dismount and begin to descend, watched inside by the mutants. What will you do? asks one of the mutants to the leader. Whatever is necessary, he replies. They don't do a lot, though, do they? No, not really. They, they've got one move. Yeah, and it's surprising they haven't been conquered already. Yeah, but I suppose if if it was always the Forbidden Zone and they've only just, you know, gathered up the chutzpah to go into the Forbidden Zone, the apes, then that's what they've been... These mutants have been living off for God knows how long, isn't it, really? That's right. And gathering up chutzpah, it kind of dribbles between <laughs> your fingers. It's really hard to do. You're right. I knew as soon as I said it, I shouldn't have said um, it. <laughs> <laughs> The, the Forbidden Zone has been their only defense. Yeah. You think they would have had time to think of something else at this something point? Something else. Like putting a door? Yeah, 
A real that. door, not a fake door. Entrance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, a natural yeah. door. That would have helped. <laughs> not just a humming pair of ladders. Yeah, yeah. The apes move through the tunnels, working their way down past all the excellent matte paintings that we see again. Yeah. Back in the cell, Taylor and Brent are trying to get the doors open when they hear gunshots. The apes have begun to mow down the mutants, killing them all indiscriminately. This is really brutal. They're just running up to people and just shooting them, aren't they? Yeah. Death squad. Yep, wiping yeah. them out. Brent and Taylor hide in the corner of the cell as a gorilla looks in. When he's gone, they get back to open the doors and they escape. Taylor hands Brent another mace and says to him, Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, replies Brent. <laughs> Sorry, it's just that pinky in the brain thing. <laughs> I, you think what I'm thinking? Maybe, but I don't know how Doris is going to wear that tutu. And with Nova in tow, they set off. As they move through the tunnels, suddenly they are confronted by a gorilla soldier. They fight, and the gorilla shoots, and Nova collapses. She's dead. <gasps> Taylor is distraught, saying that they should let them all die. The gorillas and the whole damn lot of them. And Chelton Heston monologues for a moment here. He does, he, yeah. He does a lot yeah. of monologuing in this, doesn't he? <laughs> it's like, almost like they had to write stuff for him to keep him interested. You, you do have to say that at this moment when Nova dies, you, you, you're probably thinking, oh, well, all bets are off now, aren't they? Oh, I don't know. I, I think in that day and age, you probably wouldn't think that if you survived the first movie, you're probably going to survive the whole... I mean, pe- people didn't die much in oh i see you know yeah maybe yeah brent yeah. is more concerned about the imminent explosion of the bomb and leaving nova taylor goes with him reluctantly dr zayas looks at the busts of the mutants claiming they are obscene and the apes begin to smash them all it's a waste of a bust you ask me Do- dr zayas and the apes then enter another chamber where they find one of the mutant women dead She's poisoned herself. Very Roman-esque ending to this, uh, to this lady. I mean, she's just better put death by about, what, five Pretty minutes. much, yeah. But I suppose in all fairness, she didn't know what was going to happen. No, she just thought the apes were going to come in and there'd be monkey business. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because we get a weird moment, don't we, where one of the gorillas starts to stroke the dead woman's hair. What's, yep. what's, what's going on here then? Is he thinking about, oh, that'd make a nice cushion? Or is it a little bit more... Yeah, maybe like... Dark. No, no, maybe he just likes her. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he just has a collection of her. Oh, okay. He just lusts after her. You must know what that's like. <laughs> Taylor and Brent are inside looking down from above. General Ursus orders his men to arrest the leader of the mutants. He turns to the apes and tells them that this is the instrument of God. The apes stagger back in disbelief that a human can speak. The leader pushes down on the Superman control unit and the bomb rises higher up behind him. The general gives an order and one of his men riddles the mutant leader with bullets, killing him. The general then taunts the dead mutant, saying that your god didn't save you now, did he? Got a bit of sass going on there. Yeah. He then advances on the bomb, peppering it with bullets. Not the brightest move. As Dr. Zayas tries to get him to stop. <laughs> He's like, yeah, don't, don't shoot the explosive device. <laughs> Zayas tells the general that the weapon was built by man and that the guns will not destroy it. 
So they decide to pull it down with ropes. Yeah, because that'll yeah. help, you know. It's going to launch sidewards. <laughs> that is true, yes. <laughs> but Dr. Zayas insists that the general doesn't know what he's doing and he'll kill them all. So I think this pretty much clears up the fact that Dr. Zayas knows more than he's letting on. I mean, he he, yeah. he gets that this is a missile, I, doesn't he, of some kind, and that it's probably probably best to leave it alone. Yeah, not topple it and point it at yeah. yourselves. But if you think about it, in the first movie, you always give the impression that he knew more. Especially in the scene where um, they find the doll. Yeah. Taylor motions for Brent to work his way around towards the organ. The missile falls and cracks slightly, smoke billowing out from it. Brent reaches the organ. The apes stagger back in fear at the smoke, but the general approaches saying that he'll find a way to stop it. Slowly his hand reaches towards a large red cylinder on the control panel. Brent watches in fear, then slams the butt of his rifle into the organ's keys. Everyone turns at the noise and the general orders his men to fire. Dr. Zayerson notices Taylor on the opposite side of the room. The general riddles Taylor with bullets and he falls to the ground. Oh my God, Charlton Heston's been shot. Yeah. I bet that was kind of an odd turn for audiences when that happened. I'm pretty sure they probably weren't expecting it. And the fact that he, he, was, the, he was the star of the first movie as well. Yeah. Brent angrily shoots the general in the back. He then manages to kill about half a dozen other soldiers. Taylor gets to his knees and confronts Dr. Zayas, telling him it's doomsday. It's the end of the world. And he asks him for help. Zayas tells him that man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. Brent's gun jams and the soldiers riddle him with bullets. We get a close-up shot of him as the bullet holes explode all over his body and his head. It's, this is full on... It's, it's pretty hardcore, That's isn't great. it? And there's no build-up to it or anything. He just gets shot, and he's dead. And that's it. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. Taylor, acting his heart out now, reaches out a bloodied hand to Zayas, and with the words, You bloody bastard! He falls, his hand pushing down on the red control. The screen turns white, and a rushing noise fills the screen. A deep voice speaks the words. In one of the countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium-sized star, and one of its satellites, a green and insignificant planet, is now dead. Fade to black. And that's the incredibly depressing ending of Beneath the Planet of the Apes. (laughs) Do you remember me saying the other book that Pierre Ball Mm -hmm. wrote? How does that film end? It ends with Alec Guinness falling onto the uh, plunger that blows up the bridge. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that at all. It's very similar. So, Paul, what did you think of Beneath the Planet of the Apes? All I can say is that this is probably the most depressing popcorn movie I've ever seen. And that's not a negative statement at all, but it is. I mean, whether it's characters being forced to fight or drone each other or you've got crucified apes... Humans being used as target practice, or the world exploding at the end. I mean, it's pretty pretty much a full-on experience, isn't it? But this ending is bleak. I mean, it's a typical late 60s, early 70s nihilistic ending, isn't it? I mean, it's something that you'd never see today. Yeah. Never see a movie end like this. Yeah. Is the plot great? No. But the journey's still fantastic. 
I think the cast is really good. I think James Franciscus makes it for a pretty good Charlton Heston substitute. Yeah. It's a shame that there's no Roddy McDowell, but to be honest, the role's so small in this one that it doesn't really matter who plays Cornelius, does it? Um, but it would be nice. It'd be nice to have no. seen him. There's action. There's mutants. The underground stuff, it's fantastic to look at. The music's great. And for me, this is an example of how you can make a big studio blockbuster that still has something at the heart of it to say, and it isn't just all whiz-bangs and fast cuts and and noise, you know? The anti-war stuff feels a bit on the nose, but I think that's because we're looking back on it from our perspective now. At the time, it probably didn't feel on the nose. It's not a patch on, on the first movie. No, it's not as good as the first movie, but it's certainly a hit in my eyes. It's 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 a fantastic sequel. It's probably the best sequel of all the Apes movies, I think. Um, really like this film, and it's it's definitely a hit for me. So what did you think? Yeah, I mean, um, like you said, the plot isn't great. There's a lot of padding in the film. There's only so much running away and being captured yeah. you can really do. There's a lot of that in this to stretch out the time. I can't really add much more than what you've said. It was refreshing to sit down and watch it because of its pacing. I don't know what it was, like whether it was the dialogue or the way the actors were working through the story, but it was just like pleasant to sit down and watch it compared to, say, Mm -hmm. the films that we see today. And I'm not saying the films today are bad. I'm just saying there was something different about it if you compared this to say the the most recent planet of the apes movies which are good yeah i would rather sit and watch this than any i I love those new planet of the apes movies but i i never think to watch watch them again yeah i've never watched one since the first time i've seen them and i always finish them going oh that was good and then never go back to it yeah yeah it's the same and one of the things that this film did to me was that it made me want to watch all the others. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Except one. And which is? Um, the Tim Burton one from 2001. Don't need to see that again. Yeah, nobody needs to see that. Thinking about it, is this a hit? Yeah, I guess it has to be, really. Yeah, I think it is. And i got to thank you for listening. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you download this podcast and thank you to our current Patreon supporters. And until next time, goodbye. Bye.